Almost to the finals. Been a long season, man. A long season. This is The Hezzy, episode 97, brought to you by BasketballGods.net. It's Friday, July 2nd, rolling into the 4th of July weekend. I want to start off with this NCAA news. College athletes, money. Look, they had no choice. College had no choice but to do this. It's official. Athletes can accept endorsements from brands monetize their social media presence, and work with professional firms that can coordinate these type of deals for athletes. To me, it was Adam Silver in the G League that really pushed this over the top. You saw this past season Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga have success with the G League Unite. I believe both of them were paid upwards of a million dollars for the season, They went into the G League bubble, and here they sit, top five prospects headed into the draft. After the success of those two, surely there's more to follow. Word is, they're already G League in these guys. Who is it that's running this? It's a former player, forgive me. But they're going hard after these top high school players, and they're going to be offering them a relative bag. We're talking millions of dollars to go play in the G League and then still become, you know, lottery picks. And so I think the fear for college and college basketball in particular, like, what if they lose a Zion type to the G League? He's one of one. I understand that. But guys with that type of hype train. And so it's a long time coming. Like with everything else, there are always unintended consequences and there's a give and a take. Right. And I think that what we will see is a kid like a Lamelo or a Zion who have huge social media followings cash out before they make the league and for whatever reason they're just not going to be able to handle it they're going to stop working and they're going to fizzle out right for every instance like that there's going to be so many instances where it's going to help a ton of these kids who aren't going to go pro they are popular college players and it's going to help them get a head start let them get some cash in their pocket and let them get a head start into whatever career they go into so you know, I think I think it's dope, man. And I, I also think you may see more of the women athletes cash in as well. Like, for instance, the blonde twins at Fresno State, right? Very marketable, the sex appeal. You remember those super thick uh, Gonzalez twins from UNLV? Obviously, this, the ship has sailed for them. But my point is, is I think we may see a little kind of Anna Kornikova effect, if you will, with some of the sexier athletes where their popularity and their marketability uh, supersedes their talent. But hey, get in where you fit in, right? Did y'all see James Wiseman out with Clay Thompson on his boat? It was all over social media the last 24 hours to casuals or non-warrior fans. You probably think nothing of it, right? Two teammates on a boat, who cares, right? But if you know Clay, it does mean a little more. It really does because Clay isn't the inclusive type, right? In fact, Clay is the opposite. He pretty much does his own thing all the time. And if you follow Clay on social media, he's usually out on his boat dolo. He's a lone wolf. And so my point is, you haven't seen Jordan Poole out with him or Kavon Looney or any other warrior teammate, really. So it appears like he likes the young fella, right? And does it really mean anything in the grand scheme of things? No. 
No, but Clay, again, keeps a very tight circle. And so I think it was interesting to see the big ticket out there with Clay. Let's jump back to this Suns Clippers game six. When was it? Wednesday night. It was announced just before the game that Cam Johnson would be out due to a non-related COVID illness. Listen, man, you're going to miss game six of the Western Conference Finals. He must have had dead leg bubble guts, right? He may, you know, I'm talking about the type you're on the pot so long your legs fall asleep. It's coming out of me like lava. (laughs) And he quietly had been one of the better players in the series. I thought Monty should have actually used him more. But hey, at least he's not in COVID protocol, right? He may be walking a little bit funny for a few days, but, you know, at least it's not some long-term thing. But I thought that that was a significant loss headed into this game six and gives the Clippers, you know, maybe a little mental edge. All right, they're depleted. We depleted, they depleted. Game starts and Pat Beverly is cooking Chris Paul. I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh, they can't, you can't lose that matchup, right? But as we now know, it was short-lived. The Suns did really well to establish eight and early, right? Got him four or five touches. And then in comes Boogie to Marcus Cousins. And it changed everything. So Monty counters with Dario Sarge. He's like, all right, let me just bring my stretch big in there. Right away, two quick pick and pop threes from the top of the key where Boogie probably 15 feet off him. And then CP started to get to his spots. But the thing with Boogie, the difference between Boogie and Zubat, and even when Morris is playing the five or Batum, Boogie was allowing Chris Paul to go straight up and down in his pull-ups. He wasn't contesting. Sometimes he wasn't even getting a hand up or he was just continued to drop. And he was kind of trying to stick to Aiton. And I think that that's when Chris Paul's mid-range becomes really efficient. In his older age, you notice he fades away on a lot of shots, in part because he doesn't get the separation he used to. Right. But when he can get to the nail and then just go straight up and down, that goes from being a a decent shot to a really good shot. And that's what you saw happen. And so he gets into a rhythm. The Clippers, they hang on into the half, though. Morris got going. And again, Beverly was just unusually aggressive offensively. I think it almost caught the Suns off guard. I think one thing was clear, though, from the start that Paul George, like I think we anticipated, was out of gas. Much like Duran at the end of the Bucks series, I think the difference between the two was you saw KD try to push through and just force the issue where Paul George kind of just was passive, right? He, he, just, he just got docile and wanted to move the ball far too quickly. And so I think in turn with Ty, that's why he went to boogie maybe more than he should have. He, he thought they... They needed that punch offensively, another guy that could get them a bucket. That with combining the fact that in the second half, Monty Williams decided to go with Aiton the entire way to close the game, the the third and fourth quarter, understanding, hey, we get this done, we'll have plenty of rest. In turn, again, it, it left Boogie out there longer than he needed to be. I can't believe it. I checked the box scores. It says he only played like 17 minutes or something like that. It felt like an eternity. It felt like an eternity because... It, it just, it was a glaring mistake, I think, from Ty Lue to leave him out there. I thought he should have went small and switched everything. Because with Boogie out there, that was the root of Chris Paul getting going. But hey, maybe ultimately the Clippers were just out of gas and it wouldn't have mattered. Another thing that I thought was a problem was they were in a zone far too much. Again, maybe trying to hide their fatigue. But the constant 
tinkering of lineups from Ty Lu. If you're going to play a zone, you've got to be on a string and you've got to have chemistry. And so when you've got one or two new guys playing together that don't normally, that's a quick way for a zone to get broken up. You remember they finally went on a run towards the end of the third quarter. They cut it down to seven. Chris Paul checks back in and they show zone and it just completely breaks down and Paul gets a warm up three. And that was the beginning of the end. As far as Pat Bev goes, it was coward shit, man. Because look, if it was Batum or Reggie Jackson or guys that are just kind of no nonsense hoopers, that would have been one thing where it was like, oh, dang, okay. But Pat, he wants to engage in the extra shit every night. The shoving, the scowling, the shit talking. And then now when you're taking the L, you can't handle it. That's what makes it weak. I think it would have been more justifiable if it was a dude that just was like, hey, fuck this. I can't take this no more, right? But Pat, that, that's what you do, right? That's your calling card. That's your brand. And you lost. You took the L there in, in more than one ways. He, he really let CP win the war. And I think, I don't know, man. I think it might be a turning point for Beverly in his career because the whole NBA was watching. And they're like, ah, ah, okay, you can get to him. It definitely put a chink in his armor as that guy, that that reputation that he has. We'll see how he bounces back from it. It was it was so corny because even he gets on Twitter the next day or whatever. Obviously, you know, he's going to probably be suspended next season. And even in his apology, he was sounding like a fake tough guy. Get the fuck out, man. The guy that's always dishing it out. Now you can't take it. Us for CP, man. Listen. Y'all know I was on his neck and I think it was for good reason. Up until this game six, I think you could legit question if he was helping or hurting them in this series. Now, we know he he was out with COVID, so it was like, all right, he's got to find his rhythm, right? But I thought he was forcing the issue too much offensively, and you know, it was, it was looking rough for him. It was looking rough for him. Now, I do think that part of his explosion in that game was because of a gas Clippers team and them having the wrong personnel on the floor, but you got to give him credit for seizing the moment. And when it rains, it pours, right? He was due. Hate it or love it, it was a great signature moment for Chris Paul in his 16th season in the league. And listen, I get it, man. Chris, you know, we talked about it on, I have a full breakdown of the game on my Patreon. And I, you know, this was kind of my, uh, my monologue, if you will. But it was like, look, it's easy to hate Chris. I, I get it. I've hated him his whole career, right? But that's not going to stop me from respecting what he's put into the game. You may not like how he goes about it in the extra antics, but you can't question his work ethic and all that he's given to this game of basketball. And so even if I don't root for Chris as a person, I like seeing that getting rewarded. So the sun's sitting real pretty right now. And hey, at this point, does it really matter who they face? It kind of just feels like this is CP's time to get his. Last night, Bucks Hawks game five. And the Bucks come out and just roll them. 38 points in the first quarter. Lopez, Drew, and Chris all going at the same time. And you could just see how much the floor and flow opens up without Giannis. And I'm not trying to throw shade at him. That's like that's objectively what happens. The floor opens up and the ball just tends to hop around more. But we also know that it's not really sustainable. Brooke and Drew... They're not capable of consistently being top dogs. Drew himself can't even tell you why. 
Listen, why aren't you this aggressive all the time? Man, you're right. And I've heard it a lot. I've heard it a lot from everybody uh, here, here, here at the gym. I've heard it from my family, my brothers. Um, and this is what it's about, um, especially when it's down to 2-2 uh, or 3-2. Um, I need to come out and assert myself. Ernie, it's interesting watching the Bucks play. You know, Kenny talks about skill set mindset. Like, this Milwaukee Bucks team, the reason they fluctuate all the time, they got a bunch of nice guys. You know, they don't have uh, a Vernon Maxwell uh, or a guy like uh, the Lakers had a Derek Fisher who was a, a, a tough guy. Even Rich does, Bob, does Bobby Portis kind of, uh, he, kind of fill that role? No, but I'm bit? talking about uh, the three best players. Okay. Like, you know, explain it, Kenny. Yeah, I, I think that the one thing, sometimes you have to have what we call play breakers. Like, coach calls a play, <laughs> and he's going to, and it's a play to get the ball somewhere. But in, in, in the back of this player's mind, he's going, no, when I get it, I'm going to take this guy. Or, no, I don't need help on defense on this time. And he's going to, we, we're supposed to send him middle. He's like, no, don't come. I got him. And, and it's an energy that comes about the team and about the building. And that's kind of what I was getting at the other day, right? When I was talking about this team and I, you know, soft might not be the right word, but I thought Kenny explained it well. I thought he did. But how crazy would it be if they won it all with Giannis and street clothes? <laughs> Giannis is so prideful. He wouldn't accept the ring. Bet. Giannis would be, he'd be like, this is not my championship. No. Right. He's <laughs> pride. Pride will get you hurt, G. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think that can happen again, because I don't think Drew and Brooke can consistently bring it through an entire series. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Right. Because, again, I, I don't you know if they advance. And right now, shit, I can't call it. I can't call it. You have a a, a schizo Bucks team. Trey. Seems like he might be hurt worse than Giannis. So to bet on who's coming out of this series, you might as well just play roulette at this point. Uh, it, it's, it's up in the air given the health status of the two. You'd imagine this game six looks a lot like game five, only in Atlanta's favor, right? It's kind of just been these momentum swings back and forth. But again, who's playing in those games? Meanwhile, the Suns will have a full squad rested and ready. They're probably already planning the parade, to be honest with you, out here in the Valley. But anyway, since there wasn't really much to discuss about the game last night, it, the Bucks kind of end-to-end. -end. The Hawks were scrappy. Bogdanovich shot well, but, you know, it wasn't, wasn't too much to say about it. it. You got to feel like six minutes in, like, oh, this ain't going to be too competitive. Um, I'm going to hit y'all with another top five list. Top five my bad players. Guys who you don't really want smoke with. You get hard fouled from behind. You whip around for the smoke. Oh, my bad. It's all good once you see who it is, right? Now, to clarify this, who really knows who can fight, right? Besides maybe James Johnson. I'm not saying like who's going to win the fight. Like if you fight, you lose. This is more of kind of like an intimidation list of players where you come toe-to-toe -to -toe with them and you're like, ah, I don't really like my chances. This, this is probably isn't a good idea. Number one, based off, you know, watching this dude go off last night, got to give him some love. Crazy eyes, right? Bobby Portis, big boy, wide load, right? He's, all of a sudden, he's built like Eddie Curry, but he still moves well. Um, 
yeah, with them eyes and that size and how aggressive and athletic he is, uh, you know, I mean, he he hard fouls you. You might just suck it up and say, all right, man, I'm not hurt. You know, okay, right? Number two, Colin Sexton. I'll, I'll put it to you like this. Never fight a bum. <laughs> hey, I, did I just call Colin Sexton a bum? I guess I did. My point is, is like, you haven't, have you ever gotten into it with like a, a, a bum on a corner? Or like a homeless guy, like a kind of a crazy guy, right? You know, they skinny, dirty, like you could probably whip their ass, right? But they don't got nothing to lose. They're kind of, they're off. You don't know what they might do. They might bite you on the ear. Shout out, Mike. But that, that's where I'm going at with Colin Sexton. It's not that he's this big, physically imposing guy. He's just a loose cannon. Like, you don't know what he's finna do, right? And so it's like, eh, I think most guys are like, no, I'm good. I'm good, Colin. I'm cool. Number three, I'm going to go with an easy call here in Zion. And Zion is, in a lot of ways, a gentle giant off the court, right? He, he, he seems like such a kind dude. But I mean, come on now. <laughs> he, he does have a bully factor on the court. And it's like, you, re, you really trying to, I mean, come on. It, it's self-explanatory. Another big, I think, that I would go with is uh, Nurkic. I get kind of like Eastern European mob vibes from Nurk. So, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And then my last one here seems obvious, but I don't think anyone would say it. It's Kawhi. It's Kawhi. I've seen, I've legit seen dudes spooked when Kawhi puts the paw on them. He doesn't have to say anything. You know, he's the Terminator. He never gets up, right? But I've seen him enter a guy's kind of physical space and you can almost see him tremble like, oh, shit. Oh, OK, quiet. Like, like it's it's such a rare occurrence. But I, I've seen him strike fear in dudes eyes when they think like he's approaching. So that's my top five intimidating players. Portis, Sexton, Zion, Nurkic and Kawhi. Y'all can at me with your list. Am I off? I don't know. It's subjective. Y'all have a safe Fourth of July weekend. This is the Hezzy brought to you by basketballgods.net. I'm out, y'all.